I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here welcoming you back to the show this week. It's Friday, it's wet, it's raining, it's January in Vancouver, but hey, we're not here to talk about the weather or complain about the weather. We're here to talk about uh, Formula One and there are a lot of great stories going on in the F1 world this week, including a couple that uh, I've classified as fake news, so I can't wait to get into that uh, with you guys in a little bit here, but we are inching ever closer to the start of the season. We're now 40 days away from the Australian Grand Prix. And uh, well, once we get inside a month, then we can, I guess, uh, officially get uh, excited that the uh, the eve of the season is uh, literally upon us. But uh, at least in the meantime, we do have uh, car launches to, to look forward to. That's going to come up in just about uh, two weeks time. Ferrari are going to uh, launch their car in uh, Reggio Emilia in Italy on February 11th, followed by Renault and McLaren. Alfa Tori and Mercedes set to launch their cars on the 14th of February on Valentine's Day, followed by Racing Point, and then Haas and Alfa Romeo both going to launch their cars in Barcelona on the 19th of February. And only Williams and Red Bull have yet to confirm their launch dates. Uh, but uh, Ferrari have uh, said for the longest time, I mean, they said way before Christmas uh, that they were going to launch their car on February 11th. 11th and uh, they're really focused or at least um, that's the way that uh, it's coming out in the press uh, for their challenge uh, for the the 2020 Formula One World Championship so just uh, a couple of weeks away so something uh, definitely to look forward to Anyways, uh, the uh, the first uh, big item of news uh, comes from the FIA and that they are ready to take any action as uh, fears over the uh, coronavirus uh, grow. Of course, uh, this is uh, an ongoing uh, situation. The World Health Organization declaring it a, an emergency on Thursday. And uh, the FIA said that uh, they are ready to take any action necessary to protect the uh, the motor racing uh, community. We've got the Chinese uh, Grand Prix coming up. Uh, and, well, it's not really all that uh, far away. The uh, Chinese Grand Prix is uh, set to go on the uh, the 16th to the 19th of uh, April. I mean, a couple of months away. Hopefully that uh, this coronavirus thing is uh, well under control by then. But uh, as of uh, Thursday here on the, other, the west coast of uh, North America, uh, there was uh, confirmed that it was uh, almost uh, 10,000 people have uh, fallen ill, a uh, couple of 100 deaths. So it's um, obviously a, a quite uh, a serious uh, situation. So hopefully that, uh, you know, passes uh, very soon. But uh, like I said, uh, Formula One is monitoring the 
the the the, the situation, and uh, also you know you look at some of the different um, uh, governments around the world. I mean, the UK Foreign Office has warned against all non-essential travel to China uh, and Canada. They've done the federal government's done the, the same. They're organizing transport to repatriate Canadian citizens to bring them home. You know, it's a it's a very very uh, serious thing. Anyways, on Thursday this week, the the FAA had the following to say, quote, following the coronavirus epidemic that broke out in China at the beginning of the year, the FAA is closely monitoring the evolving situation with relevant authorities and its member clubs under the direction of FAA Medical Commission President Professor Gerard Salian. The FAA will evaluate the calendar of its forthcoming races and, if necessary, take any action required to help protect the global motorsport community and the wider public. So anyways, um, if there's any decision that uh, may affect the Chinese uh, Grand Prix, uh, that would have to come first from the uh, the, the race promoter in Shanghai. But uh, like I said, I'm still a couple of months away. We're only at the, the end of January, and uh, the Chinese Grand Prix is not set to go until the, the middle of April. So hopefully, like I say, that the crisis is well in hand and uh, well under control by then. Anyways, moving ahead with motorsport news, and specifically Formula One news, Lawrence Stroll, father of uh, racing driver Lance, is reportedly uh, ready to put in a 200 million pound bid in order to secure a 20% major stakeholder uh, share in Aston Martin. And uh, that uh, could drop as early as uh, today. Uh, apparently, this uh, bid is going to be uh, considered at a, a board meeting, which uh, was supposed to have happened on uh, on Thursday night. So yesterday, um, he's uh, going up a, against a rival bidder, which is a Chinese uh, motor manufacturer, Geely. So yeah, like I say, they're, they're both willing up to, to pay up to 200 million pounds for a 20% stake in the, 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 the company and would be able to also put some more money in while the, the, the details are, are finalized on the uh, on the transaction. So Aston Martin is in urgent need of extra funding. Its share prices have fallen and profits have been a much smaller than anticipated since an initial public offering in October 2018, uh, which has been described by, um, I love this, uh, the, the, the report that I found, it was described by one analyst as quote an abject failure so obviously uh, not very good so they they recently issued a profits warning stating that the the 2019 numbers are going to be much worse than uh, an, uh, anticipated so um, Aston Martin said that they remain in discussion with uh, potential investors and uh, which uh, may or may not involve um, you know more investment in the company and, and stuff like that so anyways they're they're basically con- neither confirming nor de- denying well I guess they are confirming that they uh, are talking with uh, potential investors. But uh, Geely, they only own significant stakes and other iconic brands like uh, Lotus, Proton, Volvo, and uh, they have um, technical partnerships uh, across all their brands. So anyways, uh, Stroll, um, he's uh, made his money in fashion uh, and, and with his business connections there. And of course, he was the um, the, the, the head of the consortium that uh, stepped up to uh, basically uh, pull, a, uh, well, I guess it was uh, obviously a force India at the time that pulled them out of the the jaws of uh, well almost a certain uh, demise a couple of years ago and they they've rebranded as uh, Racing Point and there's been some talk here and there about uh, stuff like that so it kind of makes you wonder should this go ahead and if um, you know Lawrence Stroll is able to um, secure um, you know some sort of uh, shareholder uh, like majority well not a majority shareholder but um, secure that stake in Aston Martin whether or not uh, that would uh, translate over into to Formula One there have been some uh, rumors or, or 
rumblings here and there that uh, perhaps uh, they might be attracted to the support in, in, in some sort of capacity. They are, of course, uh, one of the, uh, the the sponsors at uh, at Red Bull. So there, there already is a bit of a foothold into the sport, but uh, this will have to be one that we're going to have to wait and see how it uh, evolves over the, uh, the the coming weeks and months. Now, I did say off the top of the show that, uh, that there was uh, some fake news out here because this one... And sort of been going around, and I found a lot of conflicting stories. But anyways, uh, the the one that seems to have uh, underlined it and uh, kind of uh, kind of uh, I guess uh, overturned all the rumors and the fake news out there comes from Motorsport.com, and obviously they're a very very good uh, source, uh, got good connections. And this is regarding uh, Lewis Hamilton and well his future and also the future of uh, Mercedes in in, in uh, Formula One. Uh, there was uh, rumors, uh, other stories going out. I saw them on several UK uh, websites and publications uh, earlier today that uh, that, that basically they, they were saying that um, that uh, Lewis was getting nowhere uh, with. Uh, uh, talks with Mercedes over his uh, new contract that they couldn't agree on money and that uh, in fact uh, Mercedes are basically getting ready to pull the plug and walk away after you know they have a, a board meeting in about uh, two weeks something like that anyways the um the, uh, the 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 story has basically been shot out of the water now by uh, by motorsport uh and uh, because uh, Lewis Hamilton both Mercedes have uh, come out and said that the latest uh, rumors that have been floating around there for a couple of days regarding their futures in formula 1 are, are just uh, not uh, not true anyways um Hamilton uh, took to uh, Instagram uh, earlier this week or on Thursday uh, to say quote FYA Toto and I have not even spoken about a contract yet nothing is being negotiated currently a paper making up uh, stories so even the uh, the the report that um, that this was going to be dis- a withdrawal from formula one to save something I think it was in the neighborhood of uh, 770 million pounds or something like that uh, that was going to be tabled at a, a board meeting at, uh, at Daimler which uh, was uh, is supposed to go on uh, February 12th but uh, apparently uh, upon further investigation that uh, no meeting has been scheduled for that date and also the chief executive Daimler um, shot down any suggestion that the company was ready to to pull the plug and and, and uh, walk away from from Formula One. And Reuters asked this of uh, Daimler CEO Ola Kalanius uh, earlier this week at a German auto industry uh, reception in Berlin, and the answer was not true. So. It, it has been a bit of an open secret for a couple of uh, uh, months that Mercedes has been considering evaluating their for, uh, future in Formula One uh, as they move into the new era in 2021, the cost cap and all that. And what with the Concord expiring uh, after agreement expiring this year? It, uh, this situation is no different uh, from anyone else. Uh, anyways, uh, Total Wolf um, had to, uh, told uh, motorsport.com, uh, quote, everything indicates that we will stay, but is not a given. We are in the middle of discussing the new Concord Agreement in connection with this and independently of it. We are discussing the development of the autom- uh, automobile and its effect on the sport. Anyways, uh, you know, it, it is interesting, but uh, Wolf did go on to say, quote, we have four teams that we supply, including ourselves. He's uh, talking now about uh, engines. Uh, you can only be pregnant or not pregnant, not half pregnant. So we either participate in the platform or we do not. And then when uh, he was uh, pushed a little bit further as um, staying in Formula One is solely as a, an engine supplier, if the, the works team uh, actually quit the sport, and the total went on to say, quote, I don't think anyone would decide to that to leave F1, but if that were to happen, 
uh, stopping customer supplies would also be a consequence. So that is kind of, kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, when you hear that, uh, you know, from from Total Wolf and also from the Daimler CEO that, uh, well, I mean, obviously, they're going to consider that. I mean, the, the, the new Concord agreement is going to be a major, major thing. And, uh, well, I mean, when you hear the people saying that, it, it really gives me um, I feel a little bit more confident. I mean, um, Total leaves the door open a little bit that it's not 100% uh, set in stone. Uh, of course, they have to see how everything uh, shakes out. But on the flip side of that, the, you know, they, they are being quite frank and saying that, um, that, uh, that all signs are pointing towards that they, uh, they will stay. So anyways, uh, take that uh, for what it's worth. Uh, I kind of threw that one in there into a bit of the, the, the fake news, um, category if you want to call it that just because it, it is kind of interesting i mean just just go on to uh to google right now and just uh, search up the, the the latest news regarding mercedes and there really is a lot of um, a lot of conflicting reports out there and more of them uh, tend to be uh, more sensationalist and uh, a little bit uh, more on the side that uh, you know is all doom and gloom at mercedes and uh you know it, it's kind of like a, a lot of rehashing of a lot of the stuff about you know lewis and having the uh, the discussion and the talks with the Ferrari, which we've talked about at length here on the the, the show over the past uh, month or so, and uh, that really isn't uh, new news at all. Anyways, um, the, the next segment I want to get into is going to be uh, more of the fake news, which is going to be kind of fun. Anyways, uh, I want to speak about that at length, so I'm just going to break a little bit early for our first uh, word from our sponsors. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick break away from the show to talk to you about something I'm really excited about, and that's today's show is being sponsored by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site featuring quality content for real sports fans that goes way beyond the box score. The Athletic is setting a new standard for sports news because their coverage focuses on a mix of long-form journalism, original reporting, and in-depth analysis. At The Athletic, you're going to get quality journalism and in-depth coverage of your favorite team from local writers who really know what's going on. Plus, you're going to get great content from national writers you already know like Jay Glazer, Mike Sando, and Michael Lombardi. Get exclusive player profiles, deep dives on analytics, team power rankings, and fantasy sports insights you won't find anywhere else. Each subscriber gets a personalized feed of stories, live writer Q&As, and more. Just download The Athletic app, pick your favorite teams, and The Athletic will begin surfacing all the latest on the players and storylines that matter to you. The Athletic is clutter-free reading with no ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay video or clickbait. It's just good content because The Athletic is created for fans and not for advertisers. Your subscription to The Athletic is going to get you a ton of great things, including full access to all sports, teams, cities, and writers. The Athletic lets you customize and choose the content you care about, and it's going to get even better as more cities and writers are added to the site. So you're still not sold? Just check out some of the great journalists currently writing for The Athletic. For Major League Baseball, there's Ken Rosenthal, Jason Stark, Peter Gammons, and Jim Bowden. For the NBA, there's Shams Charania, David Aldridge, Sam Amick, and Zach Harper. For the NFL, there's Jay Glazer, Michael Lombardi, Lindsey Jones, Dane Brugler, and Bob Stern. And I know quite a few of the soccer people at The Athletic, and they're absolutely first class. For example, I was reading an article the other day written by my buddy Matt Pence called How Nike, Adidas, and E-Commerce Threaten Their Survival of Mom-and-Pop Soccer Shops. It was a really great read, and honestly, it was a real eye-opener. 
So if you're ready to get started and would like to save 40% off a yearly subscription to The Athletic's complete library of written, audio, and video content covering professional college sports at a national local level, go to theathletic.com slash overtime. That's theathletic.com slash overtime. Once again, if you want to save 40% off a yearly subscription to The Athletic, go to, and this is uh, all lowercase, theathletic.com slash overtime. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And like I said before the break, this one I think is going to be a kind of fun because uh, this one, I, I had to go and crunch the numbers. After I saw this, I had to to read into it a little bit more. Uh, I, I was um, a little bit suspicious about it. And so I had to be, well, a bit of a, a number cruncher and a nerd. I had to, to go in and, and work it out for myself to see whether or not this is true. So enough uh, sort of vague sort of skirting around the, the, the issue here. And uh, this was um, from the mouth of Fernando Alonso, who said uh, earlier this week that rival drivers in Formula One are not uh, exploiting what he calls Lewis Hamilton's uh, weaknesses. He feels that Lewis has weak points that haven't been uh, exploited by his rivals in in Formula One. And this was uh, when he was asked to assess his uh, recent achievements by uh, by F1 Racing Magazine. And uh, it, it is interesting uh, what he had to say. He said uh, he acknowledged that Lewis had uh, raised his level in the past couple of years. And uh, he feels that he did that, uh, especially in 2019, when he felt that the the W10 was uh, not uh, one of the, the most dominant uh, Mercedes cars that they've uh, fielded uh, compared to the past couple of seasons. Uh, seasons. And he goes on to say, uh, if uh, if Lewis can't win, he's uh, usually a, a very close uh, second, not um, 20 seconds or 30 seconds uh, further back, which uh, usually happens if the situation is uh, reversed and Lewis is in the lead, then uh, Valtteri Bottas, is, uh, if he's in second place, he's usually a good uh, uh, distance uh, behind him. Anyways, this is the part where it gets really, really inf- uh, interesting for me. And uh, Alonso goes on to say, quote, he still has some weak points that have not been stressed yet. No one is pressing that button, that weakness. He starts the year slowly and no one takes the benefit of that. We all get excited that this will be the year of Bottas, but it's not. It would be nice to compete against Lewis in a proper fight. Maybe his weak points are not real and everything is calculated, but it would be nice to discover. So th- that's what I thought uh, or thought was really interesting is uh, when he said uh, that he starts the year slowly and no one takes the benefit of that. So w- what I decided to do was to, to go back and look at the, uh, the, the, the first five races of uh, the year going back uh, to 2014. I didn't go back as far as uh, 2008, uh, Lewis's first uh, championship season because you know that's a completely different era in formula one so i just decided instead to look at the the, the v6 turbo hybrid era and this unprecedented uh, dominance uh, of uh, of mercedes over that time anyways if you go back to uh, 2014, out of the first five races, Lewis had one retirement and four first places. That uh, that first retirement came at the Australian Grand Prix, in which he had a cylinder go on him uh, right at the very very beginning of the race and retired in uh, in lap number two. Anyways, over the first five races, 100 points. 2015, three firsts, two seconds, 111 points. 2016. Now this is the one that is the the, the total outlier. So. F- through the first uh, five races, he started with a second, a third, a seventh, 
a second and then he had a retirement and then uh, he had a third place. So, you know, not a great start to, to the season uh, for, for Lewis there. Um, anyways, uh, the, uh, the the seventh, uh, that was at the, the, the Chinese Grand Prix. And there's a bit of a theme when you look at it over the years where he's had, uh, you know, not the greatest uh, start to the year. And the Chinese Grand Prix has been a couple of them. But uh, 2016, he had a uh, damaged front wing after an incident we had with uh, Felipe Nazar on the, on the first lap. And he never really uh, recovered from that. He never got higher than fifth and eventually finished uh, seventh and then also in uh, 2016 in that fifth race uh he um he, he he retired from that one but of course if you remember back to that race that is when he and nico rosberg crashed on the opening lap and i think it was in turn three at barcelona they both went off into the gravel so the that obviously not a, a great start to to the season 2017 a second a first a second a fourth at the russian grand prix but he was a way back but he'd struggled with over Overheating all race long, so it was basically, uh, you know, just manage the car and bring it home. And then uh, after that, another fifth, or sorry, another first. 2018, second, third, fourth, and then the the last two uh, races out of that uh, f- first five races of the season, two uh, two races, or sorry, two wins, so 95 points there. And then last year, that's why I thought it was interesting. Alonso said that, uh, well, I mean, he said that the car wasn't as dominant in uh, 2019, but uh, Lewis, 2019 through the first five races of the year three first places, two second places, and 111 points. So if you take all of those six seasons and you average them out, he manages um, 95 points. He averages 95 points through the first five races of the year. I mean, really, really repeatable stuff. I mean, 100 points, 111, 57, 98, 95, 111 Obviously, 2016 is the the outlier there. And if you remember, after the first four or five races, uh, Nico Rosberg um, had his 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 uh, fortunes were very much the flip side of uh, Lewis's, and uh, he'd built up. Uh, I think it was about a 43 point lead at that point. And I obviously he didn't win the championship at, at that point. I remember him being asked after I think it was the fourth race of the year that if uh, you know considering the point gap that he had or the lead he had in the world championship at that point historically stats uh, suggested that he would go on to win the, uh, the the world championship and he was kind of coy about it he uh, he kind of uh, played it down a little bit uh, saying that uh, you know there was still a very long uh, way to go and all all that sort of stuff but anyways I mean Lewis was able to uh, to really fight back I mean at the end of the the year uh, Nico did win that uh, the, the world championship 385 points only uh, five more than uh, than Lewis Hamilton but this is where it gets uh, get gets even more interesting so I know that the schedule has fluctuated a little bit in in terms of uh, the total number of races. We started out way back in 2014 with 19 races, 21. We've had 20 in there a couple times. Basically, over the past six seasons, it's basically averaged out to uh, 20 races a year. So if you take that 95 points that he's averaged over those first five years and extrapolate that, that works out to 381 points. And uh, when you look at uh, at at uh, the, who finished second in the world championship, he wins 
all of those years. If he if he had 381 points, he would have beaten everybody, including himself in, in 2016. Because way back in uh, 2014, uh, Nico Rosberg had uh, 317 points, second of the world championship. The uh, year after 2015, Nico 322. Um, in uh, 2016, uh, Lewis had 380 points. So, you know, 381, he still would have been world championship, or sorry, world champion. Um, Vettel had uh, 317 points and 320 points, respectively, in 2017 and 2018. And Valtteri Bottas has uh, 326 points uh, in, in 2019. So Lewis, I mean, just based on that, and uh, that, that's why I, I think it's... Um, I think it's a really peculiar comment about uh, um, uh, you know Fernando Alonso saying that uh, that he starts the season uh, slowly and well you know it, when you, when you break it down and look at it over six seasons five races there's thirty races right there I mean that's very very repeatable stuff and uh, I you know the the spread goes from a well I mean like I say take out fifty seven um, you know from twenty sixteen and uh, you know you still have um, you know you take that one out and it's going to be uh pretty much he's averaging 100 points through those first five races of the year and um you know that's that's a lot i mean he's he's doing really building up the uh the, the his lead in the world championship or really um maybe not always the lead in the world championship, but certainly he's uh, really setting the foundations for a solid uh, uh, challenge towards winning the title. And uh, we, we've seen that year after year after year. So the big thing is, uh, I, I think, that uh, that we take away from that is that Lewis Hamilton is just an incredibly talented and incredibly consistent uh, driver. And then also, I think maybe though the other thing that we have to consider is that, uh, that even though um, Alonso has that opinion that uh, Lewis is perhaps a bit of a slow start, Harder, that uh, maybe he's seen things that Lewis is doing in the car that maybe he's not 100% convinced by the results or something like that even though when you look at it in black and white on paper it suggests uh, completely uh, the uh, the opposite although you know Fernando was uh, maybe put on the spot a little bit uh, during the interview and uh, didn't have the benefit of uh, being able to sit down and pull all the stats and uh, do all the uh, the number crunching and the geek stuff that uh, that I just did but it would be a, a little bit um, I would find it more interesting rather than I find it a bit of a generic, almost a little bit kind of a vague statement uh, from Fernando when he says that uh, that Lewis is a slow starter to the season. Uh, um, that he obviously has that take, but I would be more interested in Fernando's uh, perception uh, on his uh, judgment. W- what is it uh, specifically? What what are you seeing that he's doing in the car, out of the car? in the race and qualifying that leads you uh, to that uh, conclusion. Anyways, very, very fascinating. And uh, I just had to, like I say, I, I couldn't resist. Once I saw that, uh, that quote or that, uh, that interview by uh, Fernando, I had to go and uh, check it out. And, you know, I, I, my professional life, I deal exclusively with uh, numbers and that that's the great thing about math. It either, it proves you right or wrong. And in this case, I feel entirely justified to say that uh, I do not agree with uh, Fernando Alonso. And therefore, I think that uh, I'm going to throw that under the fake news category as well. Anyways, uh, time for another break here on the Scuderia Formula One podcast. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short message from our sponsors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. 
superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. I'm just going to stick here. And uh, well, actually, we're not sticking with uh, Mercedes uh, for for the moment. Uh, anyways, I just want to talk now a little bit about uh, Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel and uh, Charles Leclerc. And this this one's kind of interesting. Uh, this comes from uh, the, the mouth of uh, team principal uh, Mattia Bonato, who insists that the rivalry between Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc is an advantage. And, and this comes uh, despite the fact that there were some controversial moments uh, on the track uh, last year. Obviously, uh, the, the the, the uh, collision that they had in uh, in Brazil towards the end of the season was the big one, the one that uh, got all the headlines when the Sebastian was passed by Charles and then uh, attempted to over re- or retake the position. And then when he uh, moved across, uh, he clipped uh, Charles's uh, front wing and they both crashed out of the race. And uh, that led to, um, well, uh, obviously a, a lot of... Uh, a lot of discussion in and around Formula One, but I, I still maintain that uh, I think that uh, Ferrari did the right thing and did not uh, drag that out into the public. Uh, they they had the discussions. They they um, they did what they needed to do for speaking to both uh, drivers behind closed doors separately and then uh, talking to them and having everybody in the room at uh, at one time because it was a tricky situation. I mean, there had been some controversy here and there. I mean, Charles was upset with the way that uh, they handled things in Singapore where uh, Sebastian got uh, the, the the race win there and uh, there was other times uh, during the year with uh, team orders, more a little bit earlier in the year. But anyhow, uh, the the that was kind of a flashpoint, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's never good to, uh, well, it's obviously the worst uh, thing that you can do is to have an accident and, uh, and crash out of the, uh, the, the, the race. But the, the even worse, uh, part of that is when you have an accident and you crash into your teammate and both of the cars uh, go out of the race. So, I mean, it was just an embarrassing, uh, moment, uh, for Ferrari, which kind of, for me, I think it kind of summed up the season as, as a whole. It was, uh, frustrating. It was, uh, just another thing that uh, shouldn't have gone wrong that did go wrong and it was just a very anticlimactic uh, you know after they they showed so much promise in uh, in winter testing that when it came to actual racing they just uh, they weren't anywhere close to having the pace of uh, of uh, of a mercedes and at times they didn't even have the pace to to match the red bull and it took a long time in the season uh, you know before they became uh, competitive you know vettel had some uh, had some moments and uh, charles uh, well charles i mean just uh, impressed all all season long but uh, it was just it was 
starting to boil over a little bit uh, some of these uh, disagreements that they'd uh, been having uh, some of the uh, uh, the unhappier parts uh, you know the the, uh, the uh, maybe a little bit of mistrust or suspicion and uh, frustration on Charles's uh, behalf after Singapore all these sorts of things they all add up and uh, it, it, it really had the potential to boil over anyways I'm starting to ramble a little bit point is I think that they they really handled the situation well when it could have really blown up I mean it sounds that uh, that even though that they've had their issues that it's uh, managed and uh, it's it's not going to be um, become another Hamilton Rosberg situation because that was still going back and thinking about the the, the three seasons that they raced uh, together in well especially in the the the, the turbo hybrid era uh, when they became uh, so dominant uh, Mercedes that uh, it was just really those two that were fighting for race wins uh, more often than not and well I mean still basically the same when it comes to uh, uh, Mercedes I mean it's still basically the <laughs> Bottas and Hamilton that uh, basically would would expect them to have uh you know the uh, or take the checkered flag at the end of the race but it's it was just really amazing just how bad the relationship uh, between Rosberg and Hamilton was and just to all the the incidents that they had at Spa in Spain in Austria you know the the, the examples are, are numerous and uh, the the fact that it got so bad that they actually had to take these guys um, aside and then publicly say that if things don't improve that we're willing to part ways with one or, or both of these guys and uh honestly uh you know despite uh, everything that happened that uh i know that lewis has won a bunch of world titles since then but uh even so i mean uh, the the at, at the time when he was just a double world champion i mean only two world championships right uh that uh, that they'd be willing to part ways with them because i mean they, you know I don't think there was ever any real question who was uh, the the better of the two drivers. I I think that maybe that uh, Rosberg was a little bit closer to Hamilton in uh, terms of pace. I think that he pushed uh, Lewis a little bit better at times than, uh, than, than Valtteri Bottas uh, does on a, on a regular basis. But the point was they just got that. I mean, the relationships uh, between them was just so, so bad. I mean, it was just, uh, I mean, toxic is the word that, uh, that, that always comes to mind when, uh, when I think about the Hamilton Rosberg years. And uh, that's really I was starting to really keep an eye on the situation of Ferrari. How are they going to start uh, handling that uh, between Sebastian Vettel and, and Charles Leclerc? Because I had the feeling that, and I don't have any indication otherwise, but I certainly had the feeling that it had the potential to start uh, going sour, start going bad if they didn't uh, step in there and do something uh, sooner. Anyways, uh, Mattia Bonato um, had to had the following uh, to say, quote, if I look at the two drivers at the moment and how they are behaving uh, together, it works very well. There's a good spirit, a good benchmark, and in qualifying when Charles is disappointed that he's behind he- Seb, it is good and positive. But between the two, after all the uh, polemics that we may have read in the newspaper about the radio communication, that is one point that is not a concern at all. In fact, it is the opposite. It is a good lineup as well, quite different in terms of experience driving. For us, that is an advantage. And of course, I mean, anytime you have a drive like uh, Charles Leclerc, obviously very, very talented, obviously very, very quick. And he looks like he's got all the attributes to do some amazing things in Formula One, despite being a guy that's still in his uh, in his early 20s. He's going to be at uh, Ferrari at least until 2024. I mean, I mean, the sky's the limit. I mean, he still has his whole career ahead of him. I mean, you, you look at uh, Lewis Hamilton, 13 years older than uh, than uh, Charles Leclerc, 22 for Leclerc, 35 for Lewis Hamilton. I mean, we, you know, and Lewis is not showing any sign of, uh, of slowing down. So, I mean, uh, Charles, obviously one of the... Uh, 
one of the superstars, not only of the present, but also the future of, uh, of uh, Formula One. But then you put him against a, a guy next to a guy like Sebastian Vettel. I mean, he's a four-time world champion. I mean, say what you will about Sebastian and, and the problems that he's had over the past 18 months or so. The guy is still a very good uh, Formula One driver. He's still very fast. And he's a four-time world champion. I mean, that just didn't happen by accident in those years at, uh, at Red Bull. I mean, Sebastian Vettel is a very, very good racing driver. And uh, I think that uh, when you get a guy like Vettel, who's done it all, seen it all, and uh, is still, he might not be on the top of his game. That's why, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he comes back uh, this year. And hopefully they give a car that, uh, I just don't think that uh, that, that car that they had uh, the last year or so just really suited Sebastian Vettel's uh, driving style. He just looked like a guy that wasn't 100% uh, confident uh, behind the wheel, whereas uh, Charles, being Charles Leclerc and uh, all the things that he did with the C37 Selber uh, Alfa Romeo the year before, obviously that wasn't a great car, but he did much better things in that than uh, than Marcus Ericsson did. Anyways, uh, I, I think that uh, the SF90 was maybe a little bit better suited to Charles Leclerc and his ch- driving style than uh, Sebastian Vettel. And if they can uh, improve upon that, that car, and uh, hopefully they do for um, uh, their own sake, that uh, that uh, Vettel will be able to find some uh, some of his mojo again and uh, and do some of the things that we've been able to see. Because I mean, it's been weird to see him struggle the way that he has, and uh, and 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 really have some of these horrendous results when you know we're used to seeing Sebastian Vettel winning races winning world championships but still I mean that that is something that uh, that a guy like uh, Charles Leclerc can uh, can learn from I mean uh, Sebastian in his early 30s not gonna you know a couple of years uh, Lewis is a junior but uh, you know still I mean uh, to have a guy that's young raw talent still learning and and that's the thing about uh, Charles Leclerc I mean he's still so young at uh, 22 and uh, we've seen how good and how fast this guy is already and uh it just makes me wonder like how much more are we going to see from from charles leclerc as he gets older as he matures as he he learns his craft uh, even more and uh, that's why i think uh, having him in the same team as uh, ferrari or sorry as uh, sebastian vettel it's uh, ferrari is just a, a really really good situation uh, uh you know for, for for both of them and uh, for the team and that's why it was absolutely crucial for them to uh step in and and solve that situation in Brazil before any sort of uh, bitterness or any resentment from whichever side uh, really boiled over and and, and spoiled something that I think uh, could uh, still be a, a very, very good uh, situation. Anyways, uh, Bonato went on to say, quote, you have to accept them uh, because that is obvious. They are top drivers and they are there to do their best and to win. So what's important for me is that they understand what the overall objective and understand more about the overall situation in the race. Arguing on the radio is never the best because when you are in the car you do not have the full picture so then it's a matter of trust trusting the team even if you make mistakes as the drivers may make them so anyways interesting uh, look behind the scenes and uh, thoughts uh, from uh, Mattia Bonato regarding Sebastian Vettel and uh, Charles Leclerc Anyways, time for one final break on the show here, and then we're going to start uh, shutting it down so don't go away we'll be back in just a moment at Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. 
Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, well, welcome back to the show. A bit of a shorter show this week, but I mean, there's been some interesting things uh, to talk about. Anyways, uh, there, there's some uh, McLaren news uh, to talk about. And uh, Lando Norris uh, was uh, saying uh, on the Autosport uh, podcast uh, earlier this week that uh, he really feels that uh, McLaren, like the team has got their, their confidence uh, uh, back. And uh, that, you know, you have to really think that uh, that that is the case. I mean, this one's uh, been a team that has really come out of the uh, the abyss. I mean, those years that they had with the Honda engine, those uh, three seasons was just it was really really uh, difficult to uh, to watch. I mean. Uh, not that I have any you know stake in uh, you know, uh, McLaren to see them succeed, other than maybe personal enjoyment. But to see a team that has uh, you know done so many good things in Formula One, won so many races, won so many championships, and then to see them really fall off the edge like they did was just uh, really really painful uh, to watch. And uh, th- this past year and a bit, uh, really, I think uh, has been. A good indication and a good sign that uh, that things are really starting to to, to turn around for them. And uh, I, I know that I've, I've probably said it to several times on the show now, but uh, I really give a lot of credit to, to Zach Brown for doing the job that uh, that he's done. I mean, he to me, he just seems like a guy that goes out there, does what needs to be done, and he's not really there to uh, you know to to really go and you know, try and make a name for himself. He's there to do the right thing and, and help the team and get the right people in there to, uh, to do the job and, and, and do their jobs more to the point so they can have a competitive car to have, uh, you know, uh, you know, better results. And we, we definitely saw that manifest more in, in 2019. I mean, there were some in indications even in 2018, but 2019, I think was the first positive step forward. So of course that is the only, the, you know, one season is, was that a bit of a flash in the pan is this something we're going to see again uh this year in 2020 of course we'll just have to see how the season uh, plays out and then it also depends too that i mean it might be a bit of a false indicator that if they don't have a great year it might be just uh, more of the point that rather than uh kind of really push ahead when they think that uh, it's better to spend their time and money uh, and invest that in the development for the new car i mean because 2021 obviously is going to be completely different they might just uh, decide at some point okay well the car is what it is right now we're not going to develop uh, too much more in the you know the, the car for this year we're going to put all those resources or more resources into the the, the 2021 car rather than you know the the different iterations and uh and variations that the car undergoes uh throughout uh, the the entire season so i mean th- that may not be the the this season may not be the best indicator because like i say i mean if they they don't have a great year it may not be that the car isn't great they just 
basically could be uh, the refocusing of e- uh, energies elsewhere. But just in general, I mean, they, they have some very good people there with like uh, James Keeve that came over from Toro Rosso. You've got uh, Jill DeFerrin, the sporting director, uh, uh, ex-racing uh, driver. Then you've got uh, Andreas Seidel, team principal. And, uh, you know, it's you know, getting those right people into the organization, putting them well, I mean, it's just one thing getting them in there, but it's also putting them in the right position uh, within the company, within the team, and uh, letting them uh, get about uh, their work and doing what they, they need to do. And uh, slowly but surely, those uh, key appointments have been made, and uh, they've gone on to do what they've needed to do, and we're seeing those results uh, on the track. And that's why I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in terms of uh, drivers. You know, after, you know, I'm not exactly sure what, uh, what Carl of Sainz's uh, contract situation is Orlando Norris. I think a lot of Orlando uh, Norris. Uh, I found him very impressive in his first season in, in Formula One in 2019. And uh, it's going to be fun to watch and see this young guy progress and uh, and and evolve and grow in Formula One. Carlos Sainz, uh, on, the, on the other hand, I think he's a good racing driver. I think that uh, that he's a consistent driver. I just think I don't really think he's the kind of guy that's really going to to light it up and and, and really storm or take Formula One uh, by storm. I think that uh, he could be counted on to be you know bring bring points home uh, from the team, but I just don't know if he's uh, really that caliber of a driver. That I mean, he's obviously a good driver. I just don't. Uh, I don't really count him in that uh, sort of that top tier of drivers in Formula One. I mean, it's it's obvious who all those guys uh, would be, but that that would be for me maybe one area that's uh, that's you know maybe deserves a little bit more scrutiny and uh, keeping an eye on over the season. I mean, the only knock against uh, Lando Norris and uh, the, this is just maybe being a little bit picky more than anything is just uh, his age maybe his um, you know the I don't want to say lack of experience in Formula One I mean he's already got a season under his belt but you know, I mean it's just age and just you know him just learning his craft and and, and, and becoming a, a more mature racing driver but I just don't know how much more we're going to see from from Carlos Sainz I expect to see more uh, out of uh, out of Lando Norris over this year and uh, and going forward i just don't know if we can expect to see the the same from 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 science anyways i think that uh i you know, to make a long story short i do think that uh that uh lando does have it right when he says that the team has got their their confidence back anyways uh, the next uh, couple of cool things and uh, if you want to find uh, some audio for that just go into social media go into the team's uh, websites but uh, both uh, mclaren and uh, mercedes uh, showed footage uh, this year firing up uh, the engines in their cars for the first time uh, this uh, season and uh you know it's uh, it's great you know i mean the the the, the mercedes uh, uh, clip that i heard uh, i think it was on twitter on facebook uh, you know there was no associated video with it it was just the the engine sound and it, it was great it was uh, good to hear wasn't any uh, super high revs or anything but uh, it was cool to hear also the uh, mclaren do the same thing and uh they did have uh, the the following to say this one came from andreas seidel quote together with our colleagues from renault we successfully fired up the new car today for the first time as it is every year this is an important milestone we have plenty of hard work ahead of us over the coming weeks but it's great to see the commitment inside the team and everything going to plan as we continue to prepare the car for launch and the first tests and there you go so ferrari same thing they fired up uh, their car already so slowly but surely we are uh, starting to see 
the first signs of the the, the 2020 season, even though if it's just engine uh, fire-ups next car launches and it's uh, winter testing. So you can tell I'm getting excited just uh, talking about it. Uh, anyways, when it came uh, to Mercedes, uh, you know, it was uh, it was good to see. Uh, again, it was uh, just a little bit of audio on their 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 Twitter and their their social media accounts so that uh, it's, it's going to be uh, cool. So they are uh, making uh, their debut five days uh, before the start of uh, winter testing in Barcelona. And the, the on-track debut will not be uh, public, but uh, they are going to share their images and video of the car during that day. Anyways, Haas uh, again. I mentioned uh, some of the, uh, the the car launches off the the, the the top of the year or top of the show. So the VF20 uh, that's set to debut on February nineteenth, and uh, they're gonna. It's kind of funny. They're uh, just like Alfa Romeo. They're uh, launching them uh, both of those cars in Barcelona. Uh, Barcelona. Haas is going to uh, uh, unveil their car at eight a.m. local time, which is fifteen minutes uh, before Alfa Romeo, and uh, so they're 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 both l- basically leaving it to the eleventh uh, hour. Uh, right before, uh, no, basically, I think the drivers are going to hop in the car and do some uh, testing right after that. But uh, Haas is going to be another one that's going to be interesting to watch because, I mean, uh, their their season last year in 2019 was very, very disappointing. So they've, uh, you know, in my mind, I think they've got a lot to prove this year, and uh, they, they've uh, they've struggled a little bit uh, since uh, you know they they've come into Formula One. I know they've been in for several years now, but uh, they they really have not been able to. Uh, really progress forward. I mean, they, they do have all the support uh, from Ferrari and all that, but it hasn't really uh, translated um, to uh, more consistent results on the track. And they're kind of ups and downs. I mean, their their form seems to fluctuate uh, a little bit more than other teams. Anyways, that's just, uh, maybe that's my imagination, but uh, certainly 2019 was not a good year for Haas. Anyways, I'm going to leave it there and shut it down uh, for this week. Thank you very much, as always, for downloading and listening to the show. If you want to do us a, a favor and uh, show uh, and lend some support, the easiest way to do that is go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you uh, download and listen to your shows and uh, leave us a five-star rating and review. If you like the show, that uh, that would be great. Uh, it certainly helps us uh, grow it and be uh, become more visible, and uh, we appreciate all the, the support that uh, you lend us. Anyways, if you want to get in touch, if you have any comments or feedback, the easiest way is to get in touch via email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or also for shorter messages you can also get a hold of us on twitter at scuderiaf1pod and that's it that's a wrap as i said thank you so much for listening have a great weekend and i'll talk to you again this time next week ciao listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1pod at gmail.com.